Well, good morning. Good to be back with you. Good to see so many healthy people. Um, I just want to reiterate that I'm so grateful for the, for the check that you've given me. It will be used uh, for the ministry. I work for an organization called Good News Jail and Prison Ministry that's really been around since 1961. Uh, I am in Minneapolis downtown, Hennepin County Jail, the largest county jail in the state. We have between six and 700 customers on a regular basis. Uh, it's a very interesting place. Something you probably didn't know is that jails and prisons today are referred to as the new asylums. And the reason for that is 70% of the inmates, whether male or female, have some kind of a mental issue, a problem, a psychosis of some type, addiction, 70%. We don't have a counselor, we don't have a therapist, I'm it. So I counsel between three and six inmates a day, sometimes more. It is usually crisis counseling. I also do death notifications, and it's hard to imagine, but I deal with inmates who have lost a loved one probably once a week. So it's, it tends to feel, if I tell you that, it's, it sounds very grim, very bleak. But I want to tell you, God is at work in a powerful way. Last month I gave out 60 Bibles. On a regular basis, we have 40 Bible studies every month. And we have anywhere from 8 to 12 inmates coming to Christ every month. So there is a real rich harvest there. You can kind of navigate through all the other stuff, but the Lord never said it would be easy. You know, ministry is hard work, and bringing people to Christ in this day and age requires a lot of effort, but it is always, always worth it. So thank you so much for that love gift. I really appreciate it. This morning, we're going to talk about Luke 17, verses 11 through 19. I don't know if you're going to be able to see this. That's actually the passage I'm going to read right now. Luke 17, verses 11 through 19. Now, on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, Go, show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all ten men cleansed? Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. May the Lord bless 
this reading of his holy word. Let's pray. Father, as we look into your word at a familiar story, may it speak to us today in, in bold and real terms. May it pierce our heart and open our minds to your truth. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Ten men are trapped in a dreadful place with no escape. A no man's land filled with isolation, pain, and shame. Each man has his own story. A past life filled with pleasant memories. These men once lived like everyone else, never dreaming that they could lose everything. It never occurred to them that they would become outcasts of society, rejected and scorned, exiled to this lonely place of endless suffering. That's where you find them. And even now, the people that they love are long gone. Their wives, along with the children they tucked into bed at night, they can't be found anywhere. They've moved on because it's the safest thing to do. For this reason, these 10 men don't talk about their past life. It's just too painful. Now, we don't know how these 10 men met. They just seem to find each other in this terrible place of, of sorrow and disease. And together they form this fraternity of misery that no one joins willingly. These 10 men are lepers, and this is their story. I know that picture is tough to look at, but it's the reality of this disease. Now, as these 10 men gather in this purgatory of endless suffering, they endure pain, they endure mangled limbs, deformed faces, missing fingers and toes, barely existing. The time between sunset and sunrise is filled with agonizing isolation. Each day contains endless boredom, filled with the constant reminder that they are sick and will probably never get well. Most of the time they just stay in this one place. It's a place between two countries where two cultures actually despise each other. This is where you find these ten men. Now in verse 1 we learn that Jesus is traveling through the area, heading to Jerusalem, heading for that final showdown with the religious elite, about to lock horns with the corrupt justice of Rome. So Jesus walks through this region, hugging the border between two countries. And that's where Jesus often goes, right in the middle of where he should be, in the middle of our pain, our heartache, our confusion. Not standing back, but stepping in, engaging, participating, pursuing, ready and willing to give us what we need. Now, we're told in verse 12 that Jesus was heading into the village. We have no idea why. But despite 
Jesus' movement, he's always aware of his surroundings. He's always tuned in to the people on the periphery, those lost types, often forgotten, the discarded ones with broken lives. However, these 10 men, they are not about to go unnoticed. They keep a safe distance as required by law. Some of them will even wear bells to alert people that they're in the area. When approached, they have to cry out, unclean, unclean. Even from a distance, you can't miss them. The tattered clothing, the stench of decay, the limping, the hobbling, holding each other up for support. It's very evident. But when the Savior passes by, it's time for action. They've heard stories about Christ. Let's face it, healing stories appeal to lepers. They're tuned in to that kind of news. So they call out to Christ in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. Now this group not only knows who Christ is, they recognize what he can do for them. But isn't it strange that they ask for pity and not healing? Why make a mistake like that and create confusion? Well, I think sometimes we make praying a lot harder than it really is. When the disciples ask Jesus how to pray, he gives them a formed prayer and it's filled with everyday language that addresses everyday needs. Frequently, inmates will ask me about prayer. How do I start? What do I say? I tell them that prayers aren't supposed to be pretty or poetic. Prayers should be personal, not theological. Prayer is conversation with God. That's it in a nutshell. The truth is, Jesus is never confused about what we need. He's always tuned in. He knows our needs better than we do. So then, how specific should we be in prayer, in our request? Well, as specific as we can. However, there are times, and you've been in those times, where the pain is so strong, the need is so great that the words fall short in describing your situation. But nowhere in Scripture does it say you have to pray eloquently or carefully. It simply says you should pray with one requirement. John 14, 14, and this is Jesus speaking, and I will do what ever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You must ask for anything in my name, and I will do it. Well, the lepers do exactly that. In their very short plea, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. Now, what I notice about this exchange between Christ and the lepers is that Everyone else seems to drift into the background. 
the disciples and the bystanders are quiet. Any prejudice that there might be toward this diseased group of men is, well, silenced. There are no interruptions, no interference. That's exactly what prayer is. It is an uninterrupted communication between us and the Savior. It doesn't matter where we are. It doesn't matter how far we've gone away from God. He still hears us. God heard Jonah in the whale, Jeremiah in the pit, and Daniel in the lion's den. Likewise, we will always be heard, especially when we cry out from the depths of our pain and our suffering. Have you ever been in that place, that situation where words like pity and help and healing are just hard to articulate? You can't, you can't form the words to say what you need to say. And from time to time, we can feel cut off isolated, forgotten, a faithless name in the crowd, and no one seems to understand or care about. Sometimes we put ourselves there. Frequently, our circumstances can sentence us to this isolated place between here and nowhere. Now, it's not a physical place, really. It's more like an emotional wasteland. Feelings of being disconnected, misunderstood, and ignored. It can happen to anyone. Well, I love the fact that the Holy Spirit is referred to as the hound of heaven. The Holy Spirit knows our scent, and he will sniff us out. He will find us. I mean, look at Scripture. The Lord locates a frightened Adam and Eve hiding in the bushes, and he brings them comfort. God pursues a fugitive Moses in the wilderness and gives him new purpose. The Lord finds a nervous Joshua on the eve of a battle and gives him courage. Jesus hurries after those two heartbroken disciples on the road to Emmaus, and he gives them new direction. Christ delivered Thomas from his doubt and Paul from his murderous intent on the Damascus Road. Wherever we are, even if we get lost or we are running scared, Jesus finds us. And this is easy for him to do because he never quits on us. Nothing on this earth, seen or unseen, can separate us from the love of God. We say that so easily, but it's true. Likewise, these ten men pleading for pity will be heard. But we really need to break down this miracle. We need, really need to examine it a little closer. The mechanics of it are interesting. It's, it happens in stages. In verse 14, Jesus says, go, show yourselves to the priests. Now, in many translations, there's a comma after go. It's not go show yourselves to the priest. It's go, show yourselves to the priest. 
Now, why would they do that? Since the healing hasn't taken place yet. The word go simply means get moving. Even before there is a healing event. Step out before the miracle is evident. Let your faith propel you forward before you have evidence that something is going to happen. Walk by faith, limp if you have to, but start believing, which means start moving. More often than we would like, the Lord deals with us in the same way. Jesus wants us to put our faith in him even before we have proof or evidence that something is going to happen. Now, we don't like that. You know, we want to see it up front. We want to have a firm understanding of what's going to happen. And that's why the Lord tells a doubting Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed, but blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. The Lord is not calling us to step out because we see him doing something. God expects us to have believing expectation in our faith walk, knowing the Lord will do something. Not stepping out means sitting tight in your misery, holding hands with hopelessness. I have to admit, sometimes... We feel a little frozen in fear, but we should never be frozen in faith. Real faith requires the deliberate and intentional action of forward movement. Faith is never passive. It should always be an active force shaping our lives, challenging us to believe in the goodness and grace of Almighty God even before it happens. We should cultivate a faith that is inspired by the understanding that God is in our corner. God can get it done. God is more than able God has you firmly in front of him, and he's not going to let you go. Mark eleven twenty four 24 says, Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, what do you have to do? It's essential. Believe. Believe that you have received it. And it will be yours. James 1.6. But when you ask, you must ask, you must believe and not doubt. Oh, Lord, I just hope you can do this. Oh, Lord, this is a big mess. I hope it's not too big for you. That's not praying with belief. This means the Lord has times in our life, many times, when we have to act on faith by moving forward without proof, motivated by belief only. This is what Jesus expects the lepers to do. 
Even before that miracle of healing begins, their faith must be engaged. And the lesson here is this. If you're waiting for the Lord to prove himself by giving you a guarantee that things are going to be okay, you might be waiting for a very long time. You need to start believing and then get moving. You need to go. Fortunately, the ten lepers do exactly that. They respond. They respond to the command, go. They move forward. But there is that second part. Show yourselves to the priests. Show them what? I still have leprosy. What am I going to show them? These men are filled with a sense of Faith-inspired expectation. Not if God will do something, but when. Pray with your hands open in a posture of expectation. Because without expectation, belief is just wishful thinking. Go and show is how Jesus tells them to proceed. And what's remarkable, this is exactly what they do, without hesitation. Here we see faith in action, faith ignited by hope. It's the kind of faith described in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. You know the verse. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. You see, it's not the kind of faith that says, oh, well, I've got nothing to lose. I might as well give it a try. Real vibrant faith says, if God is with me, then nothing can hold me back. On the other hand, though, if we hesitate, if we doubt, we will wind up allowing fear to rule the day. Aren't you tired of living in fear? Boy, there's a lot in the world to cause us to be fearful. COVID-19, crime, inflation, government overreach, anti-American sentiment, both here and abroad. Meanwhile, we're trying to balance and maintain our relationships. We're trying to raise our kids. We're working, we're paying taxes, we're managing stress, we're staying healthy or trying to. Life isn't easy, is it? Jesus said it never would be. In this world, you will have trouble. But then Jesus said, I have defeated. I have conquered the world. I've got this, is what Jesus tells us. Now, do you believe in Jesus enough to take him at his word? If so, we should have a faith that knows and a faith that is willing to go. This is essential. This is the only way to get things done because you will never encounter a miracle by playing it safe. But you will find the only way to experience God's blessing is through active obedience. You want proof? 
Here it is. As they went, now we don't know how far they went. Could have been 10 steps, could have been 50, could have been a quarter mile. We don't know, but they've been told, go show yourselves to the priest, and they've got nothing to show. But as they responded, as they went, they were cleansed. These men hadn't stepped out. There would have been no healing miracle. They would have remained where they were in that terrible place, enduring this endless cycle of misery and pain. You see, if you want to break that cycle of misery in your life, then take God at his word by stepping out in faith. Stop waiting for the Lord to come to you because he's already here. Instead, ask the Lord what he wants you to do and where he wants you to go. Then do it by moving toward it. This is exactly what the ten lepers do. And as they go, they're healed. It's incredible. Now, in our Christian walk, God brings us along the same way in stages and steps. And we need to embrace these steps and embark on the direction God is giving us. It's the only way to live with power and confidence. Now, speaking of stages and steps, Imagine what happened as these lepers were healed. I wonder if their skin began to tingle when the healing began. Did their balance suddenly return when toes appeared? Were they looking down watching their own fingers grow? Or maybe they were staring at each other, watching sores close up and heal. If they didn't see it, they felt it. Limbs are straightened and restored. They feel the sun's warmth on new skin. The stench of decay disappears, and it's replaced by the sweet scent of renewed health. Suddenly, limping turns into walking and then explodes into running. Canes and crutches go into the air. I wonder, is that when the laughter began, when the joy began to flood them? And as they're moving, as they're going, certainly there were memories of home that came rushing in on them. The thought of Seeing their family again, sleeping in a soft bed, having a hot meal. All of this lay ahead of them. First stop, the temple for a priestly inspection. Then straight home for a happy reunion. Can you imagine the scene when they walked in the door and their family looked up at them and they said, Hi kids, daddy's home. Wow. That had to be amazing. But as all of this is taking place, one man begins to slow down. The others call him to hurry up, but soon he comes to a complete stop. 
and he looks back. That's when he understands who is responsible for their healing. You see, the other nine, how sad. They, they are so busy racing back to their old lives, they forget what happened and who was responsible. Their enthusiasm to return to the way things were becomes a distraction. But this man, who remembers, returns. He goes back to show gratitude in a deliberate, dramatic way. Verse 16 says he threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Think about it for a second. Does God really need our thanks? Well, not really. Does he want it? Absolutely. Just think, if we reacted to every answered prayer we've prayed with gratitude, with sincere thanks. We would be overflowing with that kind of gratitude. But we're not, are we? Just like the nine rushing away, we, we can become so busy with life that we barely find time to say thank you to each other rather than saying thank you to God. Listen carefully to what Jesus says in verse 17. See if you can catch the drama of what's going on here. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Can you hear the disappointment in Christ's voice? It seems a bit out of character for the Savior, doesn't it? Was Christ looking for a pat on the back or a round of applause? Certainly not. Jesus was looking to give them more more than they had already received, even more than they dreamed possible. The suffering in their bodies was great, but the disease in their soul was greater. It's the sting of sin that drives us apart, the scourge of sin that drives us away from Almighty God. And that gap widens when we tend to forget about it, and when it collides with the crushing challenges of life, all those things just pull us away from remembering who did what. See, Jesus wants to do more than straighten out your life. Christ wants to heal your heart by redeeming your soul. Sadly, this is something the nine never knew. They knew and believed enough in Jesus to cry out to him. They were even healed by him. However, they didn't give Christ the chance to do everything he came to do. They missed out on the biggest blessing of all. Are you willing to allow Christ to touch every part of you?
or only that part you want to be healed in. Some of you here today are like the nine who knew about Jesus, but you're running so hard and fast after life that you're missing out on the ultimate blessing. Yes, Jesus wants to heal your heart, but he also wants to save your soul. Then Jesus said to this man, rise and go, your faith has made you well. The word well means whole, which is to be saved, which goes beyond physical healing. God's plan is to save the world from sin, not just from pain and disease. God sent his son into the world, not to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And real faith, saving faith, means believing that the world is lost and in need of saving. This means that everyone needs a Savior. And God sent Jesus into the world to be that Savior. Because we can't, no matter how hard we try, we can't save ourselves. And when you bring your sin to Jesus, when you come to him with all you are, even though you might be embarrassed and ashamed, Christ turns to you and says, your faith has made you well. This means that faith is not just believing in something. Faith is believing in someone, and that someone is Jesus Christ. And the only way to experience the ultimate miracle God has for us is to embrace Christ and to understand he came for the purpose of forgiving us our sins and saving us from ourselves. You see, now you begin to realize that this story is not just about ten men who were healed. It's about nine men who missed the opportunity of a lifetime and only one man who doesn't. Nine men who settle for a little when they could have had so much more. Sadly, only one man receives all that Jesus wants to give. So in which group would you be found? Do you stand with the nine who never knew the saving grace of Christ? Or do you kneel with the one man who was made whole, body and soul? Every Sunday, there are people sitting in churches around the country who know about Jesus, who say they believe in Jesus, but they have never, ever gone to Jesus with who they are to receive the ultimate gift he wants to give, and that's salvation from our sins and the gift of eternal life. Many people have yet to embrace the miracle of salvation by receiving Christ as Lord and Savior. Does this describe you? 
If it does, maybe it's time to make a conscious choice to give the Lord all of yourself so that you can receive all of God's blessing. Don't be ashamed. Don't be hesitant. It's not as if God doesn't know. He knows what's there. He knows what needs fixing. He knows you need to be saved. And in order to brace that, we have to make a conscious choice to acknowledge that we need to be saved by Christ alone. The question is, do you want to be made whole? If you do, then believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and he will be saved. Believe in his death on the cross as payment for your sins. Accept the loving forgiveness of God that only comes through his son. And that requires a personal decision by every person because Jesus is a personal savior. This isn't something that comes down through the generations. It isn't something that you get when you show up at church. None of that. This is a personal interaction between you and the Son of the living God. It requires you to pray a prayer of admittance, a prayer of acknowledgement that says, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know I've tried. I've tried to fix myself, but it hasn't worked. I'm here because I know you and you alone can save me. In a moment, I'm going to lead that prayer, and anyone who wants to pray it, pray it quietly in your heart. But I'm going to pray first before we go to that prayer. Father in heaven, you sent your son Jesus into the world to save us. Sometimes we know that in our heads, but it hasn't taken root in our hearts. Each person must do that, make a decision, accept Christ, ask for forgiveness, ask for change. I pray that those here this morning who need to do that will do just that. Pray this in Jesus' name. Now, if you want to turn your life over to Christ and receive the gift of eternal life, I encourage you to pray this prayer as I lead you. Father in heaven, I know I'm a sinner. I know I can't fix myself. I've tried. I know I can't save myself. Jesus came to do that. I want to put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ as my Lord and my Savior. I believe in him, and I ask you, Lord, to give me the gift of eternal life. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed that prayer this morning, I would encourage you to tell someone in your family, someone in the church. You could whisper it in my ear. That's okay. But more importantly, you begin to understand that your life is about to change because our God is a God of change. And he loves us too much to leave us the way we are. Let's close in prayer. Father in heaven, thank you for the service, for the worship, for the message. 
We pray that it challenged us and strengthened us and opened our eyes to the need to make a personal choice as Jesus Christ to be our Lord and our Savior. Pray this in his name. Amen. Have a good day, folks.